tell you what, that worship was just delicious. Wow. Genesis chapter 39, verse 7 and 8. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said it unto his master's wife, Behold, my master walketh not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. Lord, thank you so much. We thank you once again for our time together. We thank you, Lord, that you're calling us to be men of faith. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for those times that we tried to establish a right standing with you based on our performance and our own human effort. Even after coming to know the Lord Jesus, those times that we trusted our performance to keep us right with you. It's all about grace. It's all about your mercy that you showed to us at Calvary's cross. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness today when we acted like owners, when you made us stewards. And because we acted like owners, we refused to be generous in giving to others, giving of ourselves and of our time and the possessions that you place under our control. We, in a sense, were robbing you. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, we pray today, teach us from your word. Help us to understand what it really means to be a man of faith in this area of sexual purity. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we talk about being a man of faith, this has to be included. A man of faith is one who consistently pursues sexual purity. He's one who continually and consistently pursues sexual purity. Here in this passage of scripture, Genesis chapter 39, verse 7 and 8, we have a very familiar account of one who stood victoriously for the Lord in the area of sexual purity. But if I were to say to you this morning that we live in a sex-crazed culture, you wouldn't be shocked. You know that's true. It seems that all that we do is surrounded by sex. We sell cars with a sexy girl standing beside the car. You didn't buy that car, you were buying that sexy girl. We sell toothpaste with sexy girls. Gotta have that sexy smile. Everything we do is all about sex. And we are constantly being bombarded with it in our movies, in our music videos, in our magazines, on the billboards, commercials. All we seem to see is sex. It's impacting the world. $13 billion industry, pornography in America. $13 billion a year. It says that 9 out of 10 boys are exposed to pornography before they're 18 years of age. 9 out of 10. 6 out of 10 girls are exposed before they're 18 years of age. And it doesn't just affect the world. Let's not kid ourselves. In this room this morning could be men who are struggling with pornography, but you won't share that with anybody because that's not something you talk about. We battle with it. We battle with it because sex is such a powerful gift of God that when it's not in its proper reins, it just overflows and destroys everything it touches. It impacts the church. Christianity Today did a survey of 1,000 Christians. 23% admitted to extramarital intercourse professing Christians. 45% admitted to sexually inappropriate behavior. And one in four men admitted to being unfaithful to their spouses. These were men who said they were Christians. 
we struggle with the same things that the world is struggling with. 1,000 pastors were surveyed by Christianity Today. 12% admitted they committed adultery while in the ministry. 12%. 23% admitted to being involved in sexual inappropriate behavior. Rick Warren did his own personal survey, 1,351 pastors. 54% said they viewed pornography within the last year. 54% of the pastors. 30% said they viewed pornography in the last 30 days. This whole issue of sex in our culture, the barriers and boundaries are changing. I can recall talking to my dad. My dad went home to be with the Lord five years ago. And uh, I was talking to my dad when that's his dad. Like, when you were growing up, like, what was it like, turn you guys on? He said, oh, we used to sit on the street corner in Norfolk and watch the ladies getting on the streetcar. And when they got on the streetcar, the men would have to get down and put a stool down, and they'd pull up their skirt, and we'd see their ankles. Ooh. I said, what? He said, we, we would see their ankles. My dad would have a heart attack in today's culture. If the ankles turn you on, back in that day, we see people walking around with dental floss on. Just got dental floss on, walking around. And we are bombarded with that. The standards are changing. When I was a kid, it was against the law for a man and woman to be in the bed on television together. You remember that? It was against the law. You, Dick Van Dyke and his wife weren't in the bed together. I don't know where the baby came from, but they weren't in the bed together. They didn't do that. Then they changed the law and said, okay, two people can be on the bed together, but your feet have to touch the ground. That was the law. Now you can almost watch intercourse on a regular TV show, primetime. The boundaries are changing. And as men of God, we are being bombarded with it, and the standards are changing. But the standard has to always be the word of God. And the scripture says to us very clearly, God has given us a framework for our, our sexual expression. Our sexual expression is to be in the confines of marriage. The scripture tells us this whole idea of sex has been a problem all the way through the planning of the church. We were talking the other day about let's go back to the old, the old ways. Let's go back to the early church. And we like to romanticize the early church. And there are some things in the early church we should go after. There are some things that we are missing that the early church seemed to have in top priority. But let's not fool ourselves. The early church had problems. The Bible says in Acts chapter 15 verse 20 and that great uh, meeting of the, of the apostles, they gave a standard for the Gentile church and they said, we write to you that you abstain from fornication. It must have been a big issue. Sexual immorality must have been a big issue in the first century. And they said to these new believers, abstain from fornication. Fornication, porneo, has to do with all kinds of sexual uh, uh, discrepancies. All kinds of things out of God's blueprint. We want you to abstain from that. That's our expectation. Romans chapter 13, verse 13. Behave decently, not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Why would Paul write to the church about that if that wasn't a problem? Paul wasn't just making up things to talk about. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, Paul says, you shouldn't even eat with him. It was a problem in the church. Sexual immorality was a problem for the believers. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want you to turn to that because this is a powerful section 
on sexual purity. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll look at verse 3 to 7. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 7. Well, let's start with verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to please, how you ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know that commandment we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor, not in the lust of evil desires as the Gentiles, which know not God. Then no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And so Paul speaks about sexual purity to the church at Thessalonica. In verses 1 to 2, Paul says to us, if you are involved in sexual impurity, Paul says you are displeasing God. God frowns upon that. It's displeasing to the God that we serve. Look at verse 3 to 4. Paul would say to us that to be engaged in sexual impurity is to be out of the will of God. You are not in the will of God if you are not operating under a discipline of sexual purity. Verse 5. When we are engaged in sexual impurity, Paul says we are acting like the heathen or those who do not know God. So for a Christian to be involved in sexual immorality or impurity, he's acting as if he never knew the Lord Jesus Christ. Strong statement by Paul. Look at verse 6. Paul says that when you are involved in sexual immorality, you are wronging your brother. You are defrauding your brother. You are writing a check that you cannot legitimately cash. When you stir up a young lady in such a way that she wants to have sexual intercourse with you and you with her, and you're not married with her, you are defrauding her. Not only are you defrauding her, you are defrauding the man that God has for her to marry. Because God has intended for her to come to the marriage bed as a virgin, and he to come as a virgin, and he was to have something with her she's never had with anybody else. You stole from that guy. You never met him, but you stole from him. You defrauded him. That's a strong statement. He says also in verse 6, sexual immorality shall be punished, disciplined by God. God takes it seriously. Verse, verse 7, if you are involved in sexual immorality, you are living beneath your call. God has a high standard, high expectation for the Christian. And then finally, in verse 8, Paul would say to them, if you are involved in sexual immorality without repentance, you are rejecting God and rejecting the Holy Spirit. You see, God gave us his Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to empower us to walk in purity and obedience. And so when I say to the Lord, I got the can't help it, I'm, I'm, I, I, I just got to do this thing, we are denying the very one that he sent to us to give us purity in our walk. And so this morning I want to examine this whole life or this incident of Joseph because he becomes a hero for us. He becomes an example for us in the midst of sexual purity. And let me say this, by the way. This is a continual battle. This isn't some young guy problem. Stop it. This isn't some teenage problem. This is a middle-aged problem. 
This is an old man problem. I've done ministry in old folks' homes. I'm telling you, they got problems. I'm coming, baby. I'm coming on in. Going in people's rooms. They got problems. It's a struggle for men. And we've got to be honest, and we've got to deal with it according to the word of God. So look at what the scripture says to us about this man. Before we go there, I think there are three things that's going to cause us to really appreciate what Joseph did. And sometimes we take it for granted, but let's appreciate what Joseph did. Number one is the, our modern culture. Consider our modern culture this morning. In our culture today, Joseph would be uh, made fun of. Wouldn't he be made fun of in the locker room? Wouldn't the guys talk down about him? Wouldn't the guys question his manhood in our culture? He stands against our culture. He stands against his pressure to be like everybody else. Let me be honest with you. Some of the things said in the locker room were lies. Some guys talk about their conquest. They ain't done nothing. They ain't done a thing. But others have. And that pressure that our young people go through in the high school and the middle school is real. It's real to be like your friends. And then secondly, we can more importantly appreciate what Joseph did as we consider that biblical context. The Bible says that God gave to Adam Eve. And the scripture says that they became one. And as a matter of fact, God gave a commandment. And the first commandment in scripture is to do what? Be fruitful and multiply. We can translate that by simply saying God told them, have sex, have sex, have sex, go for it. That don't sound spiritual, do it? It does to me. How are you going to have children? How can he say be fruitful and negate the method by which you have children? God was saying, this gift of sexuality, I'm telling you, man, you're going to enjoy this. You couldn't think of this in your wildest dreams. In the context of marriage, it's going to be great. Go for it, Adam. And Adam went for it. And I got six kids, and I did too. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? You got six kids too. And so in the context of marriage, we can appreciate this man because he refused to go against God's blueprint. But then thirdly, I think we can appreciate what went on on this particular day with him. We can appreciate because of the, black, the, uh, the backdrop that God's going to give to us. I don't know if you've ever bought a diamond before and you go into the jeweler and you look at diamonds. Eventually he or she will get around to bring out a black cloth, won't they? And they bring out this black cloth and put the diamond on that black cloth. You know why? Because in the contrast, you can more greatly appreciate the uniqueness and the quality of the diamond with its backdrop. And you, ooh, ah, ooh, ooh, ooh. You wouldn't do that. They said, here, look at this. They put it on a black cloth. And by the Holy Spirit this morning, we can see that God had a black drop black cloth laid down to compare Joseph to. And he did it with his brothers. The scripture says in Genesis chapter 35, remember, he had a brother named Reuben. Reuben was his older brother. Reuben was the one, as the older brother, who had the responsibility of, being the, of becoming the spiritual leader of the clan, of the tribe. And Reuben did something he should not have done. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 35 that Reuben went into his father's concubine, Bilhah. Now, this father's porcupine, concubine. His concubine was like a secondary wife. They shouldn't have had him, but they had him. They had these primary wives, and these girls on the side, they were secondary wives. And 
Her name was Bilhah, and his, this young man went into his father's concubine. That was immoral. That was incestuous. He shouldn't have done that, but he did. He is supposed to be a picture of the quality of spirituality in the clan. Well, the scripture says that his father didn't say one word. But we come to Genesis chapter 49, verse 1, and before Jacob is about to die, he gathers his sons around him to bless them and tell them about their future. Listen to what he says concerning Reuben in verse 3 of chapter 49. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and power. But he goes on in verse 4. Unstable as water thou shalt not excel because you went up to your father's bed and defiled it. You went up into my couch. Because of his inability or his refusal to go by God's standards of purity, he forfeited the right to be the spiritual leader. And that blessing went on to Joseph's sons. He lost that. Then the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 28, his other brother, Judah, Judah was the brother of Reuben by the same mother. And Judah was the one who encouraged his brothers to sell Joseph into slavery in the first place. Well, Judah had three sons. And the custom of the day that they had, the issue was if, your, if a son died, his brother could raise up an offspring for his, for his brother that his name may not depart from the nation or depart from the earth. Women didn't have the right to own property, so it was very important that she had a son that could be the heir of the father's property. And Judah knew that. So Judah says to his uh, son's daughter, uh, son's wife, I'm going to hold this son for you, my younger son. When he gets older, he'll marry you, and he'll raise up an offspring for his brother. Doesn't keep his promise. He's out one day, he sees this woman... And she knows who he is, but he doesn't know who she is. Her name is Tamar. And Tamar is offended because she's walking around. She does not have a husband. She has no one to take care of her. And he promised her he could have the younger son. She could have the younger son. So she dressed up like a prostitute. And he sees her, thinking her to be a prostitute. And he goes into her. He has sex with, uh, sex with her. God points out the immorality of Judah and the morality of Reuben, even before you get to chapter 39. You know why? They are a fitting backdrop to this man Joseph. His brothers took the track of immorality. What would Joseph do? Joseph stands very differently for us this morning, and I want us to examine real quickly what happened in his life. So we go back to the passage that we read. Here we have Joseph, and the Bible gives us updates on Joseph and, and um, Chapter 39 of Genesis, verse 1 to 6. First of all, the Bible gives us an update about him uh, socially. As you recall, he finds himself in Egypt, and he was bought there by Potiphar. And so the Bible shows us that he is a slave. Socially, he's a slave. He's at the bottom of the room. He has uh, much reason to complain, doesn't he? He's a slave in a faraway place. Then the scripture gives us another update on him in Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. We have a spiritual update on him. One small phrase there, the Bible says that the Lord was with him. I don't care where you are and what condition you're in, what's the most important thing is, is that the Lord is with you. And we see that in the passage of scripture, it's evident. Look at verse 2 of Genesis chapter 39. 
And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was prosperous. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. God being with him caused him to be prosperous. Look at verse 3. It was observable, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. People can look at you. People can watch your life. People can see what's going on in you and know God is with you. This guy was a heathen, but he knew something was different about Joseph, that the Lord was with him. Look at verse 4. Because of that, he gives to Joseph promotion. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had, had was put into his hand. Joseph was one that, he could, that could be trusted. Then the Bible gives us a physical update on him. Here in verse, uh, verse 6, the scripture says in verse 6, And he left all in his hand, and he knew not what he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Or also it could be translated, he was handsome in form and appearance like Brian. It looked good. He was being blessed. He didn't start out in the best of circumstances, but he was being blessed. And then the Bible says in verse 7, verse 10, and verse 12, he now has this temptation. He now has to encounter what it really means to be sexually pure. Verse 7, and it came to pass after these that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. She saw him walking around the house doing his chores, and she said, mm, mm, that's a good-looking Hebrew boy. Ooh, mm. There's nowhere in the passage where Joseph tried to flirt with her. She saw him and she wanted him. And then we skip to verse 10. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. It wasn't a one-time flirt with her. She was persistent. She was after him. Day by day she said to him, Hearken, lie with me, be with me. And then in verse 12. And she caught him by the garment saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand, and he got out. Joseph's response is clear in verse 8. The Bible says that Joseph refused. That's a strong word. This word means that he refused clearly without doubt. In other words, he made sure she, he, she knew he didn't want to do it, and he wasn't going to do it. See, part of our problem when it comes to being sexually pure, we play around with it. Imagine you're Joseph right now and you're in Egypt and this beautiful woman wants you and no one else is around. She wants you and she wants you bad. What would you do? You don't have to answer that question out loud. What would you do? Joseph gives a strong no. He didn't say, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He didn't say that. If you talk that way, you're leading people on. And Joseph didn't say, uh, why are you asking me that? <laughs> he didn't do that. He didn't play with sin. He didn't toy with it. He didn't say, how are you going to keep your husband from knowing about this? He left no idea there was a possibility he could do that which was, which was wrong. One of our biggest problems is we don't stand firm against sin. We play with it. We toy with it. And we think somehow by doing that, we can take a stand on both sides. You can't. You got to get on one side of the fence. Joseph could have had many excuses that day. I wrote several down. 
Joseph could have said, you know what? I'm a long way from home. I'm a long way from home. But if he had said that, he would be saying to us that distance determines your morality. Many a college kid goes away to college and thinks, I'm a long way from home, therefore I'm going to do something I wouldn't normally do. Does distance determine your morality? Are you saying to me all we have to do is put mouths between you and your home base and you get involved in immorality? He could have said, she wants it. <laughs> why not? I've heard God say that. <laughs> she wants it. Eh, why not? If he were to say that, he was saying that someone else determines your morality. If they want it, then I'm going to do it. So they determine my morality. That should never be the case. Number three, he could have said, I'm in a no-win situation, man. If, if I don't do it, man, if I don't do it, I'm in trouble. If I do it, I'm in trouble. Oh, man. I mean, I should just go and do it since I'm in trouble anyway. If he had given that excuse, he was simply saying that my understanding of the situation determines my morality, not the word of God. If you're confused about what to do, go back to the word of God. And Joseph simply says, no. Joseph could have said, God knows I'm human. I've heard that before too. And that's an excuse with a faulty view of God. Yes, God knows you're human and God has endured you with the Holy Spirit to empower you to live victoriously. Don't put that back on God and says, well, God knows I'm human. Faulty view of God. He could have said, you know what? Well, she won't tell anybody. Not being found out determines your morality. He could have said, you know what? I always wondered what it would be like to be with an Egyptian girl. Curiosity determines your morality. He says, no. Absolutely no. He refuses. And in verse 10, he resists because day after day, she kept coming, she kept coming. There was a once and for all no that empowered him to continue to resist on a daily basis. And then finally, he retreated. He ran. He ran. Take my coat. I'm out of here. There comes a time in your Christian life, it's appropriate to run. It's appropriate to run. My oldest son, uh, Benjamin, Benjamin uh, is a big guy. Uh, when Benjamin was in college, Benjamin uh, was six foot three. Benjamin benched 580 pounds. Benjamin ran a 40 in 4.39 seconds. A tremendous athlete. He was a tremendous athlete in high school and in middle school. And then one day I was in the home and I heard somebody on the front porch, boom, 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 boom. And I came out, it was Benjamin. <sighs> What's wrong? He said, What's wrong with you, boy? It was some guys. Some guys on the basketball court. Well, what's wrong? It's about seven guys. They wanted to beat me up. What'd you do? I ran. You're smart, boy. You're smart. You're smart. I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how strong you are. Seven guys want to fight you. Run. 
That's the most spiritual thing to do is to run. Some of us have to learn how to run. A good old-fashioned run. Just get away from it. You don't stand in the face of sin and just play with it and, 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 and start tempting sin. You run. And he shows us a great pattern of what we should do. And the question is, do you understand that no matter what happens, God is with you? Joseph understood that. The Bible says the Lord was with him in Potiphar's house. She lied on him and they threw him into the, in the jailhouse and the Bible says the Lord was with him. And eventually, he becomes second in command of all of Egypt. God is with him in the big house. Everywhere he goes, he walked with the presence of God. If you lose your sense of the presence of God, I don't care who you are, you are liable to do anything. If you think there's some place you can go, some place you can be, and God is not there, in your wickedness, you would do anything. But the eyes of God go to and fro, beholding the good and the evil. Wherever you are, he's there. And as a matter of fact, before you got there, he was waiting for you. Walk in the presence of God. And so, let's look at what Joseph did in a practical way that can help us out. Number one, understand that sexual purity is a matter of your heart. It's a matter of your heart. The Bible says from the heart comes all these evil things, lying, stealing, fornication, and adulteries in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 15 as well. Understand, if I'm being drawn to sexual immorality, go to the Lord, not about your behavior, go to him about your heart. There's something wrong in my heart, Lord, creating me a clean and pure heart. You start with the heart. Jesus made that clear. If I look upon a woman to lust after her, I've committed adultery in my heart. Get my heart right. It's a matter of the heart. Number two, it's a matter of my mind. Sexual purity is a matter of my mind. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, we should think of those things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good report, excellent, worthy of praise. Well, they dwell on those things. What are you thinking about? You can't think about impurity and produce purity in your lifestyle. You can't watch impurity and produce purity in your lifestyle. A man is what he thinks. You become like the way you think. If you could change the way that you think, you can change your behavior. So the scripture says, don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reason why Ken Watson does nasty is because Ken Watson thinks nasty. I've got to get my mind fixed. You can go to how many programs you want to go to, but the bottom line is my heart and my mind need to be changed. Number three, it's a matter of my will. Sexual purity is a matter of my will. Whenever the Bible gives a commandment, the commandment always operates in a man's will, not in a man's emotions. As a parent, you understand that. You say to your son, hey, Tommy, take the trash out. You don't care... You don't care about his emotions. You don't care how he feels about it. Well, Dad, could you explain why I got to take the trash can out? And you could explain if you wanted to. You could say, well, son, it would give a nice ambiance to the kitchen if the, if the smell wasn't so odious in the room. You could do that. But you don't care. My will says, take the trash out. Submit your will to my will. Let's get it done. Huh? Huh? Oh, I can make you go out in the trash can too. 
<laughs> we demonstrate our love towards the Lord Jesus Christ by acts of obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He did not say, if you love me, get emotional. Nothing wrong with being emotional. But if your emotions never move around to obedience, you question your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a matter of my will. It's a matter of my perspective. Spiritual perspective. We talked about this a little bit this, this morning. But in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Great word. The word deny means to disown yourself. I have to have the right perspective about me. I don't own my brain. I don't own my mind. I don't own my hands. I don't own my feet. I don't own me. So if I don't own me, the owner tells me how to use this body. That's important. Change your perspective. And the Bible says then you should be yielding to your members because you've been bought with the price. It's a matter of wisdom. How many times have I sit across my desk talking to a young man and he gets, he's trapped by pornography, he's in a trap of sexual immorality because he just won't use wisdom. He wasn't a bad person, he's just not using wisdom. The Bible says watch your company. The Bible says that bad company will corrupt your morals. You keep hanging around people who are immoral, you will become immoral. It does not mean as a Christian I don't have unsaved friends. It simply means my intimate fellowship has to be with believers. People with the same standard, the word of God. That's wisdom. Watch who you're spending your time with. Learn how to run. We mentioned that the Bible says flee fornication. Flee, run, run. Great word. This word means to be a fugitive. It means to constantly be on the run. That's our responsibility. How do we maintain our purity? We maintain our purity by doing something very important. The scripture would simply say to us, we have a responsibility to be careful what we look at. The Bible says, I will put no unclean thing before my eyes. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman. What are you looking at? What are you listening to? How can a person listen to some of the music that we have in our culture and treat a woman with dignity. All of our music seems to make her a sex object. No wonder we treat her like she's a sex object. Because we take the music, and music has a power beyond what we can ever imagine. Music has the ability to bring into our minds principles that we would normally reject. Let me give you an example of how powerful music is. Anybody recall this commercial? You wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. Remember that one? Why do you remember that? The music, that little jingle got in your head and you can't get it out. Now for the rest of this evening, you're going to be walking across camp. You wonder where the yellow went when you brush my teeth with Pepsodent. I can take a bad doctrine and put it to music and gain control of your heart. That's why I'm always challenging the people of our congregation, and I so greatly appreciate the music today. The people who sing have a responsibility to sing sound doctrine. I've got a responsibility to preach sound doctrine, 
But you got a responsibility to sing sound doctrine. As a matter of fact, your role could be more dangerous than mine. Because they take your bad doctrine and put it to music. And it's easily to be remembered. And so, be careful what you look at. Hey, avoid unnecessary temptation. Avoid unnecessary temptation. Avoid unnecessary temptation. Don't just uh, do things to prove how strong you are. Oh, yeah, I'm going to look at, you know, after all, I'm in the youth ministry and everything. I need to know what these kids are looking at. No, you don't. No, you don't. I need to know the truth. I don't have to experience all the, all, all the false doctrines, all the false things in the world. I've got to know the truth. Once I know the truth, I can evaluate everything else that comes across my desk. Be careful where you draw your line. The men of my congregation know my rule. This line here, we'll call this line the sin line. If you cross that line, whatever it is, you committed sin. So I challenge my men to know the sin line. You know the sin line by the word of God, right? Then I challenge them, if this is a sin line, you draw your line over here. They say, well, why? I say, because if you draw your line over here and you happen to mess up, you got a cushion. You're still okay. You haven't crossed the sin line. What most of us tend to do, this is a sin line. We draw our line right next to this. I'm not doing nothing. I'm not doing nothing. No, I'm not doing it. I'm just around it. I'm not doing it. We draw our sin line right, our line next to the sin line. And then we mess up where we're going to fall across the line. In a personal way, we all have to have our own sin lines. Folks back home know that Pastor Ken does not go to the beach. I'm not preaching you don't go to the beach. Let me get that again. I went to a retreat and a guy said you shouldn't go to the beach. That's not what I'm saying. I don't go to the beach. I said, well, Pastor Ken, why don't you go to the beach? I said, I don't go for three reasons. I don't need the temperature. I don't need the tan. And I don't need the temptation. I know me. I haven't preached a rule to them. They can't do it. I don't do it. I can't lay on the sand watching a woman walk, step over me with dental floss on. I can't do that. So knowing me, I draw my line here. And I respect you where you draw your line, but don't try to pull me to your line. Because I've got to know me. I know there are certain movies I can't go see. I know that. I don't have a movie ban in the church or a movie rule, but I know me. Do you know you? And the worst thing you could do is not to know you and be honest with you. And the scripture says that Joseph resisted. Joseph finally retreated. He ran. And in running, he demonstrates victory. We don't know what would have happened if he stayed there. We don't know. He ran. And when he ran, what were the consequences? The immediate consequences were not great. He found himself in prison because she lied on him. But obedience is your responsibility, not consequences. Obedience is your responsibility. If God wants to give you a prison ministry because you obeyed him, then have a prison ministry. 
That means you're locked in the prison. You're not visiting. Some of y'all didn't catch that. This morning, have an honest time with yourself with the Lord. And ask yourself, Lord, am I looking at things, am I participating in things that go against your blueprint? Your blueprint is one man, one woman in a covenant of marriage. And in doing so, we are reflecting your relationship to the church. Am I choosing to violate your blueprint and perhaps asking you to bless it? But be assured of this, fellas. If you violate God's blueprint, there will be negative consequences. I promise you. The consequences may be in your heart. The consequences may be in your family. And I'm embarrassed to tell you how many pastors I've sat down with who lost their churches. How many friends I know personally who lost their families because of pornography. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with it, please share that. Share that. Get people to be praying for you and encouraging you. And if it's not your problem, be careful. The Bible says, let him who stand take heed lest he falls. Don't assume it can't become your problem. So you are to stand on God and be alert. Be very careful what you watch. Be very careful where you go. Be very careful who you spend time with. Be very careful what views you adopt. Because God wants you to be a man of faith. And a man of faith walks in sexual purity. Let's pray. Father, as we sit here today, you know every man's heart. You know every man's struggle. You aren't surprised by our condition. You aren't surprised by our behavior. But you invite us, Lord, to come. You invite us, Lord, to come to you because we can be purified and cleansed of all unrighteousness, and that includes sexual impurity. Lord, we know that Satan would desire to be, and he is the accuser of the brethren. He would make us think that we have done something so awful that your grace can't find us, whether we're saved or unsaved. But Lord, you invite us to come, and I pray even as we sit here today that if someone is struggling with it in the quietness of their heart, they would confess that it's sin, they would repent of that, they would make it known, Lord, perhaps to a, a, a brother in Christ or to their pastor or to someone they look up to who would encourage them in the faith because you've so clearly said that we should pursue after righteousness and holiness and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Set us free, God. Help us, Lord, to be clean in this culture. We're bombarded all over the place with values that are not becoming of a Christian. And so, Father, I commit these men to you. I commit every individual to be honest with you. And for those of us who are not struggling, give us the grace to help those who are and to take heed to ourselves that we too can succumb to such temptation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.